This is Lur, ruler of the planet Omicron Percy I-8, and you are listening to the CF3 podcast, and because of that, I will not destroy you. Welcome to another episode of the CF3 Podcast. I'm Dane Michael. And I am Jeff Johnson. And uh, with us today, we have Sloth or Chunk. Pretty much take your pick. Dames Marv, where are you podcasting from today, sir? Beautiful Astoria, Washington. It's in Oregon, by the way. But I'm uh, not in Oregon. I'm in Washington. But, but Astoria is in Oregon. It's the different Astoria. <laughs> do we need to do third grade geography again here. I suck at geometry. Joining us also is Wendy Benton, whose Maloney's Irish Pub in Omaha, Nebraska, provided me and many others with a night to remember just over two years ago when she booked Corey Feldman and his angels to play a rock show during St. Patrick's Day weekend. Thanks for arranging childcare, not Wendy, so you could join us today. And if you guys hear any baby sounds in the background, it's because the babysitter... I don't know, flaked out or what happened there, Wendy? Um, Just, I forgot to... I forgot I have a baby as well as an eight-year-old. Okay. Well, easy to forget. Got the eight-year-old out of the house. We already have a two-year-old already on the podcast. (laughs) His favorite ice cream is Rocky Road, too. (laughs) Rocky Road? Baby Ruth. We have a lot to discuss, but first, it is through Wendy that I came to know filmmaker, YouTuber, console game guru, musician, and retrosance man. I just made up that word to describe you. I hope you like it. Chris Cano, who captured Feldman and the Angels as a videographer on that tour. So honored to have you join us, Chris. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Wendy, (laughs) how did it come to pass that you wound up booking Corey Feldman for a show at your bar? Well, it started out as a joke between me and Shep. Uh, Shep sent me a flyer of Corey's show from somewhere in Illinois. He was playing somewhere in Illinois, like two days after two or three days after St. Patrick's day. And Shep posted something like, Hey, who wants to road trip with me? And we were joking about it. And he said, you should book him at your bar. And so I got to thinking, it was like, you know, I'm going to have like a big tent set up and I would actually have space to do a show like that. And I'd never really done anything of that caliber. And I was like, Hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to email his people and see, see what happens. And I did. And they actually responded to me. <laughs> so. Was it per- was it a quick response, or did you have to like wait a while? Um, no, I think it was like a week. That's pretty quick. Okay, that's yeah. not bad though. And Chris, had you already known Corey at this point, or did you first meet him at that show? I actually did know Corey at this point, but this was our first time meeting in real life. So I did all of Corey's videos for the the tour. And so this show in Omaha was the very first time you met him face-to-face. Very first time I met him face-to-face. And I got to tell you, it was like a real surreal moment. It was bizarre. 
I'll bet because I've seen your trailer for the Corey Feldman experience. It appears that The Goonies is your favorite movie from that trailer and from looking at the background of your room where you're podcasting from, just full of Goonie treasures, rich stuff. So this was your first time meeting him. And did you wind up, I guess, following him on the rest of that tour or what happened with, you know, the videography stuff? So initially, um, I guess I should go back just a little bit. Okay. Corey was looking for an editor at the time and videographer to create this stuff for his tour, a lot of promotional stuff and not just promotional stuff, but also some, some major like hype videos, like during the actual show that will play on screens before he comes out and, and actually during the whole show for kind of, kind of like just some extra visual stuff while he's playing. Okay. And uh, I had a few recommendations for, from some friends out in L.A., which I'm so thankful for. And so he reached out to me and saw my demo reel and was like, you're the guy for the job. This is what I want you to do. And so we started working that way, uh, just basically over the Internet, just sending files back and forth and cut a promo teasers to come out to the concerts and all this fun stuff. And, uh, and then I did all, of course, all the editing for the actual in-show stuff. So then uh, I saw that he was coming to Omaha, Nebraska, which actually isn't too far from me. It's, I mean, it's a little far, but closer than like, it was at least, at least a day's drive. So I'm like, Corey, yo, you're going to be like in my area, sort of. I'm like, I would love to come like get some nice. shots of you and just meet you and whatever. He's like, dude, totally VIP. Come on out. So I did. And that's when I when I met Wendy as well, which was awesome. That girl can do like a kick like I've never seen before, <laughs> like this roundhouse kick. That's, that's the first memory I have of Wendy. I'm like, I'm like going, I'm like, yeah, where's the manager? And all of a sudden this chick does this roundhouse <laughs> kick to this door. And she's got like 12 beers in each hand. She's like, I'm Wendy, what's up? Yeah, that's pretty much my attitude to everybody is just what the fuck do you, whoops. Can I not say that word? <laughs> fuck it, Wendy. We have a swear counter going, so don't worry. You beat you. We're an explicit content podcast. Well, you did watch the Goonies. Can I tell you a quick story about. Yes, tell uh, us a quick story. About my first meeting with Chris Canote. Yes. One of my door guys radios me and is like, uh, hey, I got a guy out here that says he's supposed to be on the VIP list. Heard that one before. And we don't have a VIP list. And so I go out there and uh, I'm like, hey, I'm Wendy. What can I do for you? And he's like, hey, I'm Chris. This is my wife, Laura. We're supposed to be on Corey's VIP list. And I did all the, the filmography and yada yada for this tour and i'm like yeah whatever like everybody kind of had a story of why they deserve to get in free and i'm like yeah i don't know i've never heard anything about it you know he's like well um if i get Corey on the phone and he tells you it's okay can i come in i was like yeah you get Corey feldman on the phone and let me talk to him and i'll let you in (laughs) so he calls Corey feldman and he's like hey dude i'm not on the list i need you to talk to her and so he hands the phone to me and i'm like hello and he's like Hey, uh, this is Corey Feldman. Uh, yeah, Chris is supposed to be on our guest list. And, uh, I'm really sorry. Alyssa should have done that. And yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, Oh dude, like this is Corey Feldman. Like I really just talked to Corey Feldman on the phone, even though I'm like expecting him to come to my bar shortly, but it was still, yeah. Like he said, it's a pretty surreal experience to talk to somebody that you've had a did you have a crush on? I don't want to say crush. I've never had a crush. <laughs> hey. But just like a, a weird relationship with via movies, you know? You were a fan. It, it's not a problem. We were all fans of somebody at that age. Totally a fan. You said you were expecting him shortly. Um, so how long did it take him to show up for the show? <laughs> 
Well, this was probably at four or five in the afternoon and he didn't actually get there until about midnight. <laughs> what wow. a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> and he, oh my God, I'm sorry, guys. I can't remember. Did he do a sound check? Yeah, um, he did. As a matter of fact, uh, apparently his tour bus slash RV got four flat tires and they it took them forever to fix it. Don't ask me how. I don't know. Um, so I was unsure if he was even going to show up at all. And I had an unruly group of 500 Corey Feldman fans and or people that just wanted to see the train wreck that had been there since six or seven o'clock. And at this point, we're pretty drunk. (laughs) And Corey comes, Corey finally gets there and says, I want to do a sound check, but I don't want anybody in the tent when I do the sound check. (laughs) And the other three bands that opened up had already played out there. So everybody was already out there. So I had to bring everybody inside of the bar that has a capacity of 98 and let Corey Feldman do his sound check. I can edit that out. uh... (laughs) Is that what the sound check sounded like? I was going to say that sounds distinctly like Corey Feldman to me half the time. Uh, like she knows all the words to his songs. Cecily, what are you doing? My Corey Feldman impersonation. So I get everybody inside the bar and it's busting at the seams because there are way too many people in there. And my first thought is, oh my God, what if we have a fire? Everybody is going to be like, it's going to be great white all over again. Ooh, yeah. Great white. So uh, Corey comes into the tent and he's like, dude, uh, like there's not enough smoke and my logo isn't projected exactly where I want it to be. And um, there's a couple other things that he was just like, I was like, okay, dude, well, you're like six hours late. So let's get this show on the road. So he, he does a sound check and everything. And he's like, okay, now we need to go back to the hotel room and take a shower before I play. Wow. And so my husband gets some of his employees' vehicles and Chris Canote volunteers to drive uh, drive Corey to his hotel so he can take a shower and then come back and play the show. So at this point, Chris Canote can probably give you a good idea of what happened on that car ride to and from the hotel. But I'll tell you that the show didn't end up starting until almost 1.30. And I had to like almost physically kick him off the stage at 2.15 because the neighbors were calling the cops and I had already gone over my noise ordinance license by an hour and 15 minutes. (laughs) At this point, were you over your Corey Feldman fandom from Um, childhood? At this point, I had already worked St. Patrick's Day, which was the day before. So I was pretty much coming off of working for 48 hours straight. So I was pretty delusional and delirious. And it was so much fun and such a cool thing that it's like, okay, well, it went off without a hitch, aside from 40 being super late. But other than that, it was a pretty successful show. Everybody had like, I don't want to say the time of their life, but definitely like a top 10 time of their life. And it was just one of those things that you're never going to forget. Yeah, it was definitely one of the most memorable shows I've attended in Omaha. I'll say mm-hmm. that. And the probably the latest one because I had to stay and um, wait for people who had VIP oh, uh, meet and greet yeah. with him. And that went until what time? 4.30 or 5 in the morning. 
That's insane. (laughs) So that added another few hours onto my already super long weekend, but. But hey, he honored it. He did. He totally did. And I totally respected that because he could have easily just said, screw you guys, I'm going home. Right. And he could have pulled a buck cherry and said, screw everybody. We didn't get our blue M&Ms. <laughs> he met everybody. He was super nice to everybody. And I think everybody that stuck around that actually met him was super glad they did. Yeah. Now, Chris, tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing with Corey since then, because you know him quite well now and have worked with him quite a bit. Yeah. After the whole like tour and everything, I thought maybe our relationship was done. And because that's sometimes how those gigs work out. You do him a favor, he does you a favor, and then cool experience, move on. Well, I also am friends with Aaron Schwartz. He was in the movie The Mighty Ducks, <laughs> Heavyweight. He was also in the new Guardians of the Galaxy, too. He's just, he's a great dude. He actually came into town because I got Aaron on a show here uh, north of town, uh, like a kind of like a late night talk show. And so Aaron stayed at my house and we connected and it was really cool. And we started talking about this idea you know, as a filmmaker, I've always wanted to make a documentary. And Aaron has also always had an interest in making a documentary. And I said, well, my documentary that I've always wanted to make is on child actors. And I said, here we are talking about this. I go, I think we should do something. He's like, dude, that's genius. That's what I've been wanting to do. So him and I have been working now for at least over a year just with the general kind of concept. And this year, just about a month ago, we just really started nailing it out of the park and working on this documentary. So yeah, about a month ago, I was in Corey Feldman's house. I was in his living room interviewing him because Corey was awesome enough to say that he would be a part of this project. I think when you think of child actors, Corey Feldman's one of those ones that first comes to people's minds. Yeah, absolutely. He ruled the entire 80s as far as child actors go. Absolutely. I mean, that resume is insane. Like he was involved in the Gremlins franchise, Friday the 13th, Stand By Me, Lost Boys, Goonies. Oh man, this is so much... It's such a surreal experience because those are the films, especially the Goonies is what got me interested in being a filmmaker when I was a kid. Like I knew people ask me all the time, well, when did you know you wanted to go into film? And I'm like, I knew when I was six years old, they're like, no, for real. I'm like, no, for real. I have VHS tapes to prove it. I've been making movies since I was like eight years old. I just knew and the Goonies is what did it. So it was really cool. And as a kid, I always wanted to be friends with like the real Goonies. It was like a dream of mine. So it was really cool to actually say, kind of friends with Goonies, at least a Goonie. You know what I mean? Have you ever met any other ones? Like Sean Astin? He's really approachable. I have not yet. Nope, I have not yet met any other ones yet. Are there any other child actors that you're working on getting to be participants in this? There are. I don't know if I can say quite yet. Maybe we'll say that if you'd have me back on. I'd love to have me and Aaron Schwartz as on as a guest. Maybe we can talk about our documentary a little bit more. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Please come back. We do have some that are already in the documentary that I can say. Uh, RJ Mitty from Breaking Bad. We've got Donkey Lips. Uh, I Gosh, I hate calling him that. <laughs> Mike Rebauer. But a lot of people, the only reason it came to mind is because um, that was a character that was very iconic for him back in the day and uh it's one of my favorite characters he's done but he's also done some other great films as well like evolution and dude where's my car so michael's a great actor and so he's also in our documentary but you know salute your shorts since we're on the topic of like nostalgia right camp on awana <laughs> i love that show yeah. we hold you we, we hold it in our hearts what do you actually. do when you think about it <laughs> it makes me want to fire that's right that's right <laughs> that's that's the stinger for our end of our episode i think <laughs> Yeah, let's have you back to talk about that in depth more. Let's bring Aaron on. Let's do one of his movies sometime. That'd be awesome. 
Yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for the cult fan segment. We will be right back with the cult films. Meet Mikey. I gotta go Brand. Andy. Shame, shame. Come on, Brand. Slip with the tongue. That's disgusting. No, I can't even look. Mouth. I gotcha. Now get out from behind her. You're ruining the pain. You're ruining my job. Stephanie. Data. Junk. They call themselves the Goonies. They've stumbled onto a legend. I'm at the Lighthouse Lounge, and I want to report for a murder. Just like that last prank about all those little creatures that multiply when you throw water on them. Take the oath. Join the adventure as Steven Spielberg presents The Goonies, a Richard Donner film. Welcome back to CF3. We are talking about The Goonies, the 1985 film directed by Richard Donner, produced by Steven Spielberg, written by Chris Columbus. So right there, that's the trifecta of, um, I would say, 80s, 90s, childhood masterpieces of film. I'm just going to read real quick the IMDb description of the plot. It's one sentence. In order to save their home from foreclosure, a group of misfits set out to find a pirate's ancient valuable treasure. That's that's putting things pretty simply, I would say. But we're talking about the Goonies. So the first thing that I wanted to say about this film was from the get-go, the jailbreak, they're introducing the kids. I have to say that this is a masterfully edited film. Not your normal adventure you know, kids adventure film. You got a football game going on. The Goonies messing around at their house. Just beautifully intercut with the jailbreak scene of the Fratellis escaping. I was looking at the list of the Oscar winners from the year of film in 1985. And I was wondering what the hell they were doing giving out all the Oscars to out of Africa when the Goonies is sitting here on the sidelines getting nothing just because it's a kids adventure film. What do you guys think? Are you with me on this? Chris, are you with me on this? Absolutely. It's an editing masterpiece. I agree with you. At least should have been considered for those types of Oscars. Editing was pretty good on this. I will give credit on that. The score during that opening sequence is amazing as well. It screams adventure. And we are all about screaming on CF3 podcast. (laughs) We started, Chris, I'll let you know this, and Wendy, we started a Playboy reference tracker in our movie reviews because... We've noticed how many of the films we've watched wind up having like shots of Playboys in them, like people rifling through them or actresses who were in Playboy. There was no Playboy reference in here, but there. I want to add this to your list of duties, right. Damon. Anytime we see a Mad Magazine reference, we need to have that in there. So I cannot remember who's rifling through the Mad. Is it Mikey? Mikey throws like uh, he's reading Mad Magazine towards the beginning and then he's yeah. like, sitting on the couch yeah. or on his bed, yep. right? The truffle shuffle is one of the first things that happens. Did anybody make their friends do the truffle shuffle in school? Chris, did you ever make, tr- try and make anybody do the truffle shuffle? Oh, yeah. I still try to make people do the truffle shuffle, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> like before, before you'll give like an answer to a question. Just for the record, don't even ask, you fuckers. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Oh, come on, Chunk. <laughs> we'll let you continue on the podcast. I, I watched the commentary. <laughs> Uh, track as part of preparation for this and Richard Donner 
cleared the set because he was too embarrassed to do that in front of anybody else. So it was just him and, and the actor that did it. Yeah. And Chunk actually had the, uh, the chicken pox. Wow. That that's awesome. During that segment. He was actually scared that they were going to fire him and get somebody else to do the movie because he had had chicken pox. So he didn't tell anybody, but he's like, if you look really closely, you can see all over my back and stomach that chicken pox that were there. The truffle shuffle, my man, you gotta make somebody do something stupid for dancing in this movie. Has anybody seen what Jeff Cohen looks like lately? No. Not Chunk. He's very thin. He's a very thin lawyer to some actors right. now. It's crazy. He would not be able to pull off the truffle shuffle anymore. So I wonder if that, I have to wonder if that whole scene gave him a complex of some sort. Well, that gives something everybody they can relate to in this movie of you at least knew somebody or you were somebody who at that age, you had a little baby fat on you and then you had a growth spurt. And then you shot up like a weed. And then all of a sudden you're the most popular person. If they came back and did a sequel, that would be freaking hilarious that, Oh, somebody else is fat and overweight now. And this guy, he's the centerpiece. Heart <laughs> of the movie. Yeah. That or, or you didn't Jeff or you didn't, or you just stayed the same like Damon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Damon. The Rube Goldberg device is pretty cool in this. How did these super uptight parents let this Rube Goldberg device get built into their yard? I was pretty amazed by that. Well, the dad seemed pretty into like historical things. And if his kid's trying to do like old fashioned booby traps, then maybe. But that's probably a plot device error on that one. What's your guys' favorite line in this movie? Chris, what's your favorite line? Mm, man, there's so many, but one I do that's really random that most people may not do is I can smell the bubble gum. <laughs> Other than size five, <laughs> I can smell the bubble gum because it's, it's only trauma. <laughs> my brother and I do that line for some reason all the time. I don't know why because there's so many better. Hold on, hold on, the everybody just be quiet. Do that one more time. Just, just you. I can smell the bubble gum. That's a good Anne Ramsey. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, Damon, do you have a favorite line in this? I do. Uh, in the wishing well, he's like, yeah. This one, this is my wish, and it didn't come true. So I'm taking it back. I'm taking them all back. And I'm like, why are you so mad? <laughs> like that, it's my favorite line because it's great. And then he just turns around and dives into the water. That's the that's classic. I mean, it's the best line in the movie to me. Uh, my favorite one is a Feldman mouth line. Um, so they're in the attic rummaging through the stuff. <laughs> Mikey goes, you're ruining the painting. <laughs> He's like, you're ruining my joke. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, ye intruders beware. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a line from the movie, but it's not really, it's not like a gotcha type of line. It's not. You're right. It's, it's right. good though. I like the the line from Data when he's talking about his inventions and they're in the caves and he's like, I spent months and months working on these and nobody believes me. This is such a crock. Um, I know that's not verbatim, but that that just kind of stuck out to me. Like, I do so much and I work so hard and nobody outside of this group believes in me. This is such shit. And he just, he, he eventually sucks it up and he comes back into his character. But that, that stuck to me as a nice little I'm character. I'm surprised nobody like, mentioned uh, $50 bill, $50 bill. <laughs> there were so many lines from him that were hilarious that it's really hard to choose, but I tried to choose something that actually picked a character development instead of hilarity. I mean, I like your the quote that you chose, Jeff, because it does it really embodies what 
it means to be a Goonie. Like that's Data's moment where he's showing what these kids are. They're the disrespected ones, you know, and all they have is really each other and this amazing adventure. Chunk is a pretty, this is just an observation I have. Chunk is a pretty terrible reader. (laughs) It's pretty terrible (laughs) everything in this movie. (laughs) He doesn't read so good. No, he's good at making friends with Sloth. That's one, one good point. I also wanted to point out that just as an FYI, I would like to think that a golf course in Astoria, which is in Oregon, Damon, would have been a financial flop because like Seattle, it's sitting there right in the rain shadow between the Cascade Mountains and the Pacific Ocean. And so you're going to get rain like 70% of the time. I think it would fail as a golf course. So I don't think that they would have really been in danger of losing their home in that way. Just a small point. It's a good point. Speaking of being in danger of losing their home, perhaps that's why the parents allowed the kids to just do whatever they wanted to because they knew that they were going to lose it anyway. So they're like, oh, you want to make some uh, weird way to open the fence? Go ahead. Well, I think it's weird that they were like supposedly moving so soon, but they hadn't like done anything to the house. It's pretty much <laughs> right, right. still what, all You in didn't order. want the housekeeper to do all the work? She wasn't doing Rosalita, anything else in the Rosalita. movie. Rosalita. Rosalita, who was, she could have been doing other things like getting ready to kill Selena. Come on, you guys have seen the movie Selena. Of course. (laughs) Rosalita. Here's another movie like the last one we did, The Last Starfighter, where the kids say shit a lot and still get to keep their PG rating. I have the swear counter on that at five shits in this movie. And why is it that a Spielberg movie, the kids get to say shit five times and keep their PG. When like The Last Starfighter, they got like one. I think somebody's throwing some money under the table Because there. it's Steven Spielberg. He got his PG-13 with the Raider, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom just before this movie. That's true. That's right. The only thing we serve is tongue. <laughs> Does anybody know that who Sean Astin's brother is? Chris, pop quiz. Who's Sean Astin's brother? I feel like I should know this. I know who his mom is, but I don't know who. Patty Duke. Yep. Dad is John. Jeff, do you know? Welcome to Marvel's little reference to Thanos at a young age. No, no, no. His real life brother. Then no. Okay. Mackenzie Astin, who got, he got the Garbage Pail Kids movie. (laughs) And Sean got the Goonies. So one of these kids is not like the other. Oh my gosh, I just watched the Garbage Pail movie the other night. Again, I had to show my son, and oh my gosh, that's a whole... That thing is a whole different level of suck. Yeah. I'm thinking that's a whole other episode, right? <laughs> We've also brought up the person who was responsible for, in a couple episodes, the person who was responsible for the Garbage Pail Kid costumes or makeup or whatever you want to call that, John Carl Beekler. He was a famous horror director and makeup and visual effects artist, and he just passed away last week, so... Great man. Yeah. Wendy, what was your favorite line in the Goonies? Mm, that's a good one. I don't know. I, a, lot of, a lot of shit that Dave says I think is funny. Uh, booby twaps is always one of my go-to jokes for me and my kid to, <laughs> to use on each other. That's what I said. Booby twap. It's a good one. You need to confess to everything you've ever done. Everything? Oh my god. Okay, this time in second grade, in third grade, in fourth grade. But then I made a joke in the movie theater, and it was horrible. One of the greatest monologues a child actor has ever given. That was the one line that really made me like him, was that whole little sequence of everything he's ever done wrong in his life. And the criminals, Robert Davi is trying so hard to not laugh, and so is Joe Pantanoliano. 
it's freaking hilarious. It's like, I'm beginning to like this kid. You almost wonder if he went a little off script with that one. I do wonder if that line was uh, real or really in the script. Yeah. His, uh, well, Davi is a bit of a, like a jokester. I know he was like always pulling pranks on the kids, like on the set. So it wouldn't, you know, that type of stuff doesn't surprise me. The dead body scared me as a little kid mm. to falling out of the closet. Chris, did it, did anything in this movie ever scare you? How old were you when you first saw it? Man, I had to have been like seven. I don't think anything ever scared me. I was so like sucked into that movie. The dead body didn't, yeah, the dead body in the cooler, it didn't really freak me out. because I, I, I thought it actually was, a, they did a terrible job on him, actually, believe it or not. I don't know. It didn't, <laughs> didn't look dead enough to me. But uh, I don't know. I think they did such a good job. They're just keeping it so adventurous that it, 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 nothing ever really scared me. I was always just like, Gosh, so much adventure jam-packed into one film. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, I think actually my favorite quote is, down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. <laughs> That's the best bad speech in film history. Or, Andy, you killed me! <laughs> A bunch of random celebrities visited the set. Who knows of one? Michael Jackson. Is that the one you had, Chris? I think it probably was <laughs> with the Feldman connection. Another one recorded a song for the movie. Cindy Lauper. Yep. Do you guys like that song? I do. Oh, yeah. I have it on vinyl. Nice. There's special features for this documentary called um, The Goonies, The Making of a Cult Film, where Corey Feldman gives an interview that said when he first heard it, and I don't know if it's still true, he he hated the song. And he was are like, we talking about the Cindy Lauper song? Yeah, The Goonies Are Good Enough. Yeah. That was like... <laughs> That was one of my favorite songs. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's and Chris awesome. Attest, Chris and I went and saw Corey Feldman in Lake of the Ozarks together. And I, I went wild on that song. Wait, he does it now? He does. His, his, I think it's his wife that sings it on tour. But I sang, my, I sang the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's come around to liking it, I guess. Because apparently at the time he didn't like it. And he was shocked when it went number one. Oh, well, I'm sure he likes the notoriety that he gets from it. <laughs> and if you if you go see Corey Feldman and he plays that song, like that that's cool. You're going to you're going to be you're going to be excited to see that song. Oh, absolutely. Just like uh what's the song called? Hey little sister or whatever. Cry little sister. Cry little sister. Yes. From Cry the Lost Boys. I mean, that oh, was yeah. great. that's great when he does that. He actually does a really solid job of that song. There was also a funny story <laughs> Dang. What? He actually does a really good job at that song. I, I don't think you gave disag- him enough credit now. I didn't disagree with you. And in fact, <laughs> I posted a video on Twitter from that night of him performing that and he retweeted it. So mm. there. So I know him too, Chris, because he retweeted me. <laughs> there you go. Do we just yep. become best friends? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Another person who visited the set was Harrison Ford. I guess he just had to show up to sign like a contract or something like that with Steven Spielberg. Steven, being the prankster that he is, had purchased a bunch of copies of Harrison Ford's biography that had just come out. And he had every single person holding a copy, reading it, including like Robert Davi. And so when Harrison came to the set, everybody was reading his book. <laughs> he was just like, Fuck you guys. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Box office report. This made 19 million, or I'm sorry, it cost only 19 million to make, which seems very reasonable to me. And it made 62 million. That's pretty good. Good, yeah. So why wasn't there a sequel made at the time? 
And does Richard Donner still think one is going to be made? Damon, I think no. you've told me things I, about this before. Well, of course, when you meet Sean Astin, that's one of the things that you're going to ask him. When's this going to happen? And I'm sure he's tired of hearing about it. But he said they're all, they all would love to do it. They just need to be presented with uh, the material to do it. Chris? I don't think Richard Donner, though, is interested at all. And I've been following this story and uh, the hearsay for years. Someone got Richard Donner on video just a few years ago. He was like doing some convention or a signing or something. Some guy from TMZ, it says, Richard Donner confirms Goonies 2 is happening. So all of a sudden, I watched the video and I'm like super pumped going, finally, the, the words from his mouth. Like, I will finally believe it. Well, it cuts to Richard Donner and T- it's like a TMZ guy and he's just drilling him. And I'm sure that's all Richard Donner hears anything he goes to. Goonies 2, Goonies 2. And Richard Donner was obviously just disgruntled and pissed. That's like, I've heard this no times. He goes, yeah, 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 we're making it. We're making it. Get out of my hair. So <laughs> obviously he was just trying to get the guy, you know, off his back. But I was really upset about that. So I don't know if Richard Donner has any interest at all, but I sure as heck hope somebody does. Because while I don't think you can ever beat the original Goonies, I would totally be down Think about where some of these actors have been since then. And for them to come back and revisit those characters that were before a lot of their major success, that to me would be to see adult Goonies go back and have an adventure. I'm, I'm all in. I don't care if it's good or bad. I just would love to see it happen. Wait, are you saying that you would want them to them to be on the adventure or they're like their kids? No, them. Something brought them back together. So like they come back as Harry Anderson and... Uh... Richard Thomas. Let's fucking write this script. <laughs> Somebody call up Sean Astin. Let's get this script written, like right now. So you want the like the uh, Stephen King's It type of approach where they yes. do go on adventure as adults. Something that happens that has to bring them back together that they have to resolve. Ooh. That'd be amazing. I do like that idea. It'd be amazing. Sloth goes missing. I like that. I like that idea better because I think when you do the whole like new kids old parents and then it just turns into a cameo a cheesy cameo movie it's true and then you open up the idea for them to do a prequel for their parents you know from the original kids as parents but only as a prequel and i i don't want to see that i have no interest in that no i want to see the originals like you said if they if they had all the originals go on adventure that would be cool i agree the upside down penis looked fine to me by the way (laughs) on the statue just wanted to just wanted to get that in there Well, if that's how you view things, Dave, from the upside down. Dude, does it bother anyone on that piece when Chunk says the line? What does he say? When the mother walks walks in and she's like, what is that? What is that? And he goes, oh, shit, what? And I'm like, what is he saying? I understand he's saying, oh, shit. But then he goes, oh, shit, what? I'm like, and I had to look up the script and he's going, oh, shit, what? But he doesn't like emphasize the question mark. So it always drove me nuts. Like, what is he saying? I never thought of that that way. That's interesting. (laughs) All right. Well, we are going to get to the part where we rate this film on the cult filmometer. So we're going to assign ratings between zero and 100, whatever you feel like scoring it. It's up to you. There are no rules for how you have to arrive at that score. Like I said, this is patented technology. You can't steal it or imitate it. But let's go ahead and start with Chris. And when you give your, when everybody gives their score, at some point, you also need to tell us who your favorite Goonie is. Okay. So my favorite Goonie is, I want to say Mikey, but I got to say Chunk because he just brings the comedy relief in the film and he's just fun to watch. And I'm going to have to rate this film. I have to. I got to give it 100 because... <laughs> that started all for me it got me into filmmaking i knew from that movie i'm like this is what i want to make 
I want to make films like this and films in general, and I'm doing it. So thank you, Steven Spielberg. Thank you, Goonies. You're the reason what I'm, I'm living my dream, like for real. Hey man, that's the perfect reason for giving a hundred score. And it's the highest score we've ever seen given out so far in seven episodes. We did get a 99 once <laughs> out of somebody. Um, but yeah, somebody. <laughs> love it. He who shall not be named. <laughs> um, Wendy. Um, I gave it a 95. Cool. And have no good reason why I gave it a 95. I just I love this movie and I think that it says a lot. It makes you want to have a bunch of little gimme. <laughs> Our swear counter has now gone up to seven in this there now are. I mean, it's, it says a lot that it's a movie that I can watch with my kids and it's still as exciting to them as it was to me when I was their age. That is cool that kids today, like Chris, do your kids love Goonies too? They do love the Goonies and they also love the Burbs and they also love, they love all the classics, man. You're a good dad. I love movies with staying power to hold kids' interests that are, you know, even though they were made 30 whatever years ago. So 95 from Wendy. Damon, what do you give it? Okay. I love this movie so much. First hour, however long, I don't know how long the movie is. Till the last 10 minutes, the movie is absolute perfection. And then it just loses its shit for me. Because when they come out, everybody's all in the same place at the exact same time, including the guy that's trying to get them to sign the papers to get over their house. The cops are there. The Fratellis are there. Everyone just emerges. It's really sloppy. If you think about the way the rest of the movie was eloquently placed and pieced together and edited perfectly, you get to the last 10 minutes and you're like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) How did they all get on this beach? And right. what's with all that the extra shreds of paper being thrown out when the contract gets ripped that's, up? That's that's just I love that. Okay, that gets I that love it too. Points back because for for those of you that don't know what he's talking about, when he rips up the contract that he just signed, to throws it in the air about eight tenths of a second after the original papers go up, somebody clearly is behind him and throws up a second set of papers. So the confetti just looks uh, to make it look better. But there's also a line in there where she says, Mikey, when the parts of you that don't work so good catch up to the ones that do, like, what? You're such a creep. That's such a weird thing to say to a kid who's not even a teenager yet. It's like, basically, when your dick starts to work, it's like, what? Why are you saying this to him? And his parents are like, that's true. <laughs> How did I never notice that? I don't know, but go back. I must have, like, stopped paying attention at that point. You're like, oh, this is a bunch of shit. It's about the same time exactly. that you're talking about that I just kind of stopped paying attention. And it's exactly. like, okay, the movie's, the movie's all but over. Exactly. And I have one more point that I want to make before I give the score. It's called The Goonies. You don't even find out any history behind the club until they're like halfway down the tunnel and they're in the well, I think. When he's like, Goonies never say die. You're like, what the fuck's like, okay, we've <laughs> talked about the goondocks, but what are the Goonies? And then all of a sudden everybody knows, oh, Annie, you Goonie. It's like, Oh, that's what a Goonie is. I remember thinking that when I was a kid. I was like, Goonies, what is this? Of course, if you're an adult, the Goondocks, that makes sense. But wouldn't they all be Goonies if they lived in the Goondocks? Anyway, I love that you gave it 100. I would give this 100 if it wasn't for the last 10 minutes just being an absolute train wreck. I still love it, but I'm going to go with a 92. That's the highest score that I've given any cult film that we've done to date. 92. Sorry, I took so long. No, it's fine. I love that you have 
feelings about this movie. <laughs> I do. <It's> very <laughs> Look at my face right now. It's fucking red. He's about to cry. <laughs> I just want to add, also, he was talking about uh, the whole kind of shredding of the paper. There's also a major editing flub. You watch it next time, you'll see it. When the mother is holding the jewels in her hand, her fingernails are not painted, and then it cuts back to him, and all of a sudden, her fingernails are painted. <laughs> okay. Okay, guys, I take back my comment when we started this review about how amazingly well edited this movie is. Because <laughs> we both gushed over it. Just edited it out. <laughs> that first seen. sequence is awesome, though. But there is something going on with that beach scene you mentioned, Damon, where it all comes together because there was an alternate ending that was never seen. And I only recently found out about it in the behind the scenes documentary. They did originally film something where the housekeeper finds the gold in, and she's in the house. So not everybody was all in the same place at once in the original version. And I don't know why they wound up reshooting stuff and having everybody converge, but it was probably due to time constraints, I would have to say. Maybe they thought the film was running too long. Chris? I want to add too, did it ever confuse the crap out of you guys too when at the end of the movie, Data goes, oh, the octopus, the octopus. And made me go, Data, I had mad respect through this whole film. And now all of a sudden you're a liar. You're as bad as mouth now. Why are you lying about the octopus? And then you find out later there actually was an awesome octopus scene where they fought off an octopus and he stuck his walkman in, in the in the octopus's mouth to fight it off. And But they cut the scene, but why would they leave that? Jeff, you had brought that up to me earlier when we were talking about the... He, Jeff noticed the octopus line and was like, what? I watched also in the same documentary, the unauthorized documentary, Richard Donner said they felt that the octopus did not um, look effective enough. So he didn't want it in there. So they did excise an entire scene with an octopus. Um, Jeff, let's go with your score. I had a love affair with this movie as a kid. As an adult, it's not so much there anymore, but I still appreciated watching this movie back for the first time in probably a few years. I do have the Blu-ray from Warner. It does look pretty good. They have some good extras on that. So it was nice to see the deleted scenes, as Chris pointed out, with the octopus, because as he pointed out, at the end of the movie, you got Data going... Uh, there was this octopus and then there was this crazy story and all of this stuff. And it's like, wait a minute, octopus. I never remembered that as a kid. So I had to actually go back out because I wasn't going to watch the extras for this episode. I was just going to watch the movie, enjoy it for what it was and just come right in and we talk about it. But I couldn't help but think like, what the hell is he talking about? So I started to watch the extras and then there was the deleted scene with the octopus. And so I'm watching that, I'm thinking, okay, that's not nearly as bad as you would think it is. It actually looks pretty good for an 80s movie. It's an 80s movie. Things are going to be exaggerated. It's not CGI. Practical effects were very good back then. I don't agree that they cut that out because then they made Data look like a freaking idiot at the end for talking about an octopus where they could have just looped his line out, had him re-record it. Don't even mention the freaking octopus because you're making it seem like he's a freaking idiot of the bunch and he's actually one of the smarter ones of the bunch. So with that said, I did like all the production designs in the film. They did a fantastic job with the booty traps. <laughs> or the booby traps, depending on how you want to call that. They did a great job with the country club and all the plumbing issues underneath when they're running through the caves. I thought they had a great level of detail for the pirate ship and how they got through that. I really liked how everything looked. My One of my favorite parts is at the beginning, the Jeep had a stick shift. That is a great level of detail because anybody who watches that movie these days will look at that Jeep and be like, 
what that's not how a car drives that's that's not an automatic no that's a stick shift that's what people really drove back then so that was a great great little sight for me uh worst police force of all time though uh like you really let some moron escape from a jail like that and just walk right out the front door okay so we're gonna leave that there because they are the worst police force of all time they find the kids after everything's done you don't see them doing anything during the movie at all no parents just the fratelli crime family so i'm gonna dock points on that because they could have done a little something or just not had any police interference at all i loved chunk coming clean i loved a lot of the secondary storylines running through very good plot detail i thought they carried through with some really good character development and i really saw this as more of an ensemble type movie than a focus on sean astin's character of mikey or anybody else's character everybody had a role everything all played together and came together as one you saw them apart at the beginning and grow closer and closer towards the end so uh as a whole i really like the script i really like their pushing forward on that it was very enjoyable i'm gonna give this a 90 though because it doesn't hold up well and as we pointed out some of the editing choices at the end the rushed ending from from damon I'm going with 90 on this, but it is a very good movie still. Hey, Jeff. A little dated, but it's Your looks good. are kind of pretty when your face isn't screwing it up. So is your mom. <laughs> Dean, what do you got for a score today? I have a score that I will reveal after I say why. First off, I love the set pieces in this film. I don't think anybody's talked about it yet, but like the giant organ, just anything that they came across. These are, these are all amazing bits of production design and concepts. I really liked John Matusak's performance as Sloth and the fact that he was willing to endure, I think it was like four and a half hours of makeup each time. And like he had the like lower hanging eye, which could actually blink. And it was like well below where his regular eye was supposed to be. I thought that was awesome, like makeup work that they did. And gosh, like you said, Jeff, everybody in this film had a role to play and there weren't throwaway characters. This is just an amazing study in how to write an ensemble piece for children. All that said, I gave it a score of 96. And plugging that into the cult filmometer, we have easily our highest scoring film to date, 94.6 overall. So oh, it's like 10 points higher than most. Yes. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. The bloom. That shot though of when he holds up the doubloom, it looks pretty God, bad. Yeah. Like oh, it's background. So grainy. It's clearly a screen or it's grainy. Oh, I don't know yeah. if the film got deteriorated or it's just a bad like No, it's a bad green screen. Yeah. Chris, you you genuinely love this movie. Oh yeah. I am enjoying this because you love this movie so much. You point out two major editing errors and you still give it a score of a hundred. That lets <laughs> me know just how much you love this movie. And I mean, I, I, I appreciate that so much. So thank you. Well, it's infectious. It brought my score up while you guys were all going. So I actually raised my score from what I was originally going to give it. What were you originally going to give it? 82. 82? Because it gave it like a 90? Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Well, I was not, I was thinking really hard about, do I give this thing a hundred? And I, maybe I should have asked, has anyone rated this a hundred yet? Because <laughs> I think nothing can ever be perfect, but I'm like, I got to give this a hundred because for real, like if it wasn't for this film, I don't know if I'd be, I mean, I probably would, but that film's what did it for me, man. It is really what got me. Well, that's the thing. It's not the perfect film, but it's the perfect film for you. And so it's perfectly valid for you to give yeah. it a hundred because it drove everything that you want to do. Absolutely. 
Everybody's got that one film that did it for them to make them film fans and probably this one for you. And Dan's probably got one. I've got one and we'll get to it eventually. We thank you guys for joining our panel to discuss it today. Thanks for your time today. Uh, and how can listeners find you or your work? So you can just Google on uh, Canote Films and I'll come right up. YouTube is uh, youtube.com slash Canote Films. On Instagram, I'm Canote underscore films. And that is spelled C-A-N-O-T-E. Awesome. And Wendy, do you want people to be able to reach you? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, they can follow us on Twitter at Maloney's Omaha. Uh, Facebook is Maloney's Irish Pub. I'm probably the most active on Facebook. So That's going to wrap up our cult film segment. We will be back with the last segment, The Cult Finds. We lived in a time where a man named Steven Spielberg came into his own, and you felt that almost every amazing blockbuster was created by him. There was one film of his that really inspired me. It was a little film called The Goonies. This film was so magical to me, and it immediately inspired me to be a filmmaker. I'd go to my uncle's house who had a video camera, and I would make fun videos with my cousins all day long, and I would teach myself camera tricks. And at that moment, that's when I knew I had to have a camcorder of my own. And on Christmas morning in 1993, my parents bought me my very first video camera. The passion never died. I literally kept making home movies as the years went on. I filmed everything. Everything from family vacations with my brother and sister. Hi. Can you see me? To fake TV shows. The show you're about to see is very stupid. It is. To comedy sketches with my best friend, Dathan. Gosh, I miss those days. It wasn't just a phase like most kids go through. It only stuck with me and grew stronger and stronger as I grew older. I just knew from the moment that I first watched The Goonies that I was destined to be a filmmaker. I could just feel it in my soul. A film of my own way! The Goonies was such an inspiration to me that I'd literally film me and my best friend Dathan reenacting scenes from the film. I don't believe you. But when the time you said Michael Jackson came to your house to use the bathroom. Okay, Ryan. Michael Jackson did come over my house to do the bathroom, but his sister did. I'll never forget. I wanted to be friends so bad with the Goonies in real life. And well, that kind of came true. Uh, which is kind of like a three-minute film, which was produced this great guy named Chris Canote. Welcome back to CF3 Podcast. This is the Cult Find segment. Um, we want to start off with actually talking about a trailer that is now available to view for Stigma, Raised in Hollywood. This is Chris Canote's film that he's working on with Aaron Schwartz, and it is from Canote Films and Brand New Pictures. You can actually watch this now. We will be sharing it on our Facebook page when this episode goes live, so you should be able to see it at the same time you see the episode announcement. Oh, it looks absolutely riveting. Yes, it does. Oh, I was just going to ask you... Um... Sorry, guys. Could you open a phone line real quick? Charlie Sheen reached out to me earlier this week, and he's listening to the show. And I told him he could call in for the segment if he wants to talk to us real quick. 
and he jumped at it. So if you could open a phone line, hopefully he calls him while we're talking. He's not a child star, is he? I mean, I know his dad was an actor, but no, but he is a child. <laughs> yeah. Phone line is open. Uh, we'll edit that out so he doesn't hear it in the show. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck him. <laughs> I don't think he can hear anymore. All right. Well, hopefully he calls. So go ahead, uh, carry on with the finds. And in this week's also news, we are looking at Criterion Collection. They picked up the Godzilla era films from like the 1954 original all the way up to about 1975, otherwise known as the Showa era or Showa era. And uh, that is now being included as part of the launch of their Criterion channel, which is basically like a, a shutter app. It's their app for the Criterion Collection. They have over a thousand films. And the fact they're including Godzilla and more kaiju films, that's a great sign of things that come because maybe we'll get some brand new blu-rays if everything turns out right are you gonna subscribe to that jeff um i'm gonna be doing some more research to see how much that's going to cost per month if it's reasonable like shutter is then you bet i will i saw they had destroy all monsters on their on their initial offering which is awesome. awesome Is there any word that these are potential Blu-ray releases in the future, or is it just speculation? Or Speculation, but they did acquire rights to these from Toho. If they have a, oh, if they were able to score the, the streaming rights to them, they probably have or are working on options to do Blu-rays, because in Japan, they did release some Blu-rays. Allegedly, it's supposed to be a little bit better than the old DVDs and Blu-rays that were put out previously, but... Until we actually see some real con, until I see it in my freaking hands, I <laughs> won't necessarily believe it until it happens. But also, they could be compiling special features while they're streaming it. That's just true. taking it, you know, they're they're not releasing it because they don't have all the special features they want to put onto it. I have to think this is bad news though for mystery science theater fans who wanted to see official releases of the Godzilla movies. That was never going to happen. <laughs> I mean, unless Criterion has a sense of humor and leases them out, but that's not likely. Uh-oh. Oh, is this who I think it is? Might be. Hold on. Hello, is this Charlie? Hello. Charlie, can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me, Charlie? Can you hear me? Babaloo, babaloo. Can you hear me? <laughs> Charlie, I can hear you. Can you hear us? Okay, I can hear you too. What's going on, man? Oh, well, I'm a little nervous now that you called in. Um, what are you doing? Now I'm smoking a cigarette and drinking something I won't reveal. Uh, we actually didn't talk about that today uh what are you guys drinking dane i got a guinness blonde uh jeff what do you got i have a lightning googles snowdrift vanilla porter nice awesome uh charlie before i get forget is it all right if we record this hey let me uh let me put you on speaker i'm gonna record this one also okay i'm gonna take you off of speaker so that we can put you into the direct line and hopefully get your audio a little bit better hold on hold on let me see if this thing even has speaker because it's a freaking you know built by trolls keep that in mind (laughs) (laughs) no problem well we just finished doing uh our review segment i wish you would have joined us earlier you could have reviewed uh the movie that we did okay good what is it uh, we just finished uh, Goonies, right, fellas? Goonies. Yep. It was good enough for me. It wasn't a, it wasn't a Charlie Sheen movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we did one before. If we did do, well, we did the Wraith already, as you are aware. That's why you're calling in. And I did want to say, I tried to get Jenny McCarthy to, to join us, your co-star from Two and a Half Men. Um, but there was something wrong with the with the email that you sent me. It was 
spelled wrong or whatever. I, I couldn't really figure out what the problem was, but it wouldn't go through. I'm just, I, I forwarded you exactly how she spelled it. If she doesn't know how to spell her own name, then she loses. Oops. <laughs> I guess that means, I guess that means we all lose because we really would have loved to talk to her. Guys, what's a movie, another Charlie movie that we might do in the future? Uh, I would think Red Dawn would be probably the Red most Dawn. likely candidate. Yeah. Red Dawn, yeah, that would be awesome because, you know, more people watching Charlie and listening to us, you know, sounds like a good idea. Yeah, no, it's radical. It's radical. And the people are doing exactly what they should be doing, which is watching me and listening to you because we have all the answers. We have all the gold. We have all the solution, Bob. Actually, uh, it's Damon. It's not Bob. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody does. They treat me like shit on this show, Charlie. Well, he is a piece of shit. Charlie, you well, need to know that. Gosh, what else do I want to say? We loved you in what? Hot Shots. <laughs> we did love you in Hot Shots. Did you have have a good time, uh, have fun with that movie? I had more than fun. I had me with it. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, um, gosh, do you have any other uh, things that you want to say? Any, any knowledge that you want to impart on the public before we go here? If you own the home in which you own the trash can, you should never have to empty it ever, ever, ever again. How do you, how do you guys feel about that? That's so uh, relevant for people that's listening so, to this podcast. So, <laughs> that's as George Carlin as you can get on their show. <laughs> well, I don't really want to keep you any longer. I do thank you for calling in. Thank you for listening to the show. Um, man, it was a it was a pleasure. How can that be it? Like we are in the, in the, in the middle of a movement here, an odyssey of epic proportions, epic, epic proportions. How can that be it? That's all you have. This is supposed to be our, uh, our shortest segment, Charlie. So, you know, it's the cult finds if you would ever, God damn it. <laughs> I appreciate your time, Charlie. Please call back anytime you want. Goodbye. Wow. That was weird. How do you top that? Well, I'm going to try. On April 5th, a uh, new nonprofit short fan film from Radical Talent was released. It's called Michael versus Jason Evil Emerges. And yes, it is Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers in it to win it. Uh, I have not been able to see it yet because it's only been out six days and I just heard about it. Uh, but it's a 30 minute, they quote, call a no budget film, but it already has two and a half million views in six days. And so it kind of makes you wonder if it's going to lead to like a fundraising campaign for these guys to make something a little more substantial in length. But from just skimming through it, it looks good. Have you seen any part of it, Jeff? Or uh, I saw the headline and I'm eager to check it out myself. I'm all about a good fan film and uh, I'm kind of eager to see how it goes. I'm a big fan of both franchises. So I say, bring it on. Let's see what these guys can do. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap it up for the fines. And we just have one thing to read here for the mailbag. Um, this was actually from John Cohorn, who listened to the last Starfighter episode and uh, Damon complaining about not being able to find the Playboys that, or the Playboy, the Playboy over there <laughs> that Bobby Pressy or Breezy was supposedly in. John says, listening to the newest episode. Great job. Tell dames that Bobby was a bunny at the Playboy Club and appeared in the July 1989 issue in a spread with B-movie bimbos featuring text by none other than Joe Bob Briggs. And I relayed that message to Damon, at which point he finally was able to locate the issue and he has it now. 
I'm holding it. Listen, that's me flipping through the stuck together pages. He has it in his grubby mitts. So uh, it used to believe it or not. Of course, you'd have to believe it because make sure you use both hands when trying to pull the pages apart. So thank you, John, for listening and being a much better researcher than the hapless Dames Marvs. You know I, I'm going to defend my goddamn self. I okay. never said he was wrong. I just said I couldn't find it. I never said he was wrong. I just said, so he probably literally found it in like two minutes worth of research. He's the one that knew about it in the first place. Well, that's supposed to be your job around here. Minimal Uh, effort, Damon. That's my job. That's, I have a job that pays me money. They get a better effort. They get a better effort. (laughs) I thought you got fed popcorn from your mom. So (laughs) why don't you buy a better microphone and internet connection with that money? (laughs) My internet connection is fine. My microphone could use a little work. (laughs) Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the CF3 podcast. That's a really sobering way to conclude this episode, but... So much for drinking anymore tonight. Yeah. Hey, they can't all be home runs. (laughs) No, they can't. They can be singles down the line, but... (laughs) There needs to be a tag at the end of this, which is the longest amount of... Wendy's baby crying that you have. <laughs> I just end the show with that. <laughs> <laughs>